Um, this morning, our gospel message is from Mark 4, 35 to 41. Hear with me the word of the Lord. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took, with, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And waking up, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Be silent, be still. Then the wind ceased and there was a dead calm. He said to them, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning, uh, we are going to go through this passage from the Gospel of Mark. And um, we had a chance also at our Wednesday night um, Bible study to go through this passage. And so um, that was kind of a beautiful coincidence. Um, And so um, please join me this morning in a word of prayer. Dear God, we thank you for this beautiful morning in the great city of Atlanta, and thank you for the community of Atlanta First. Thank you for Pastor Jasmine and her courageous leadership of this church. Please please be with her as she's traveling. And God, please be with us as we worship together here this morning. Help us to feel your presence. Help us to experience your presence. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to you this morning. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. In our gospel reading for today, Jesus has been teaching to large crowds. And by the time it's evening, he's very tired. So he suggests to the disciples, let us go to the other side of the sea. A scholar of New Testament, Amy Jill Levine, reminds us at least four out of the 12 disciples were fishermen, so they knew their way around the sea. So most likely they would have said yes to a nighttime boat ride with Jesus because they expected the boat ride to be relatively manageable. They would have known how to gauge a sense of how things might be even during a nighttime boat ride. But suddenly they face windstorms, they face waves, and the boat was already being swamped with water. And even though they would have had some knowledge and experience with such tumultuous weather conditions, they are filled with fear. Why were the disciples filled with fear? Especially when some of them had already navigated such seas before and have probably even faced such windstorms. Why were the disciples filled with fear? As the boat starts to fill up with water, they look to Jesus to see 
what he's up to, which makes sense since he's their teacher, their rabbi. He's been teaching them and showing them new and wondrous things such as healing and forgiving a paralytic. That's what happens in, some, in the verses. We're at Mark 4, but if we look back to the previous chapters, we see that Jesus healed a, a paralyzed man and he forgave him for his sins. And all were amazed. Who is this that has the power to even forgive sins? So given their sense of trust in Jesus as their leader, their rabbi, it makes sense that they look to him in the boat to seek his guidance. And what do they find? They discover that Jesus is what? Sleeping. Jesus is sleeping. This is an amazing image of sleeping Jesus. The scripture says Jesus wept, but scripture also tells us Jesus slept, right? And he's tired, right? They discover that Jesus is sleeping in the stern and is specifically asleep on a cushion. You can imagine, I mean, how would you have responded if you were in this situation? Right, just put yourself in the situation, how would you have responded? I mean, you can imagine that they were pretty flabbergasted. Like, how could you be sleeping in a moment like this? And plus, this was your idea to cross the sea. Um, we're following you, right? They had seen Jesus do wondrous things already. In healing the paralytic, Jesus not only healed him from his physical ailments, but also declared that his sins were forgiven. And when he healed a man with a withered hand, the unclean spirits even confessed to Jesus, you are the son of God. Amen? Amen. And the disciples witnessed this. Right? So in many ways, you know, they would have been looking, reasonably so, to Jesus in this moment for leadership. Um, at the same time, in so many ways, the disciples are still just figuring Jesus out. But given that he teaches with such power and he heals, it's not surprising they want him to take charge of this situation. That, um, so when they see Jesus is sleeping instead of directing them to solve the problem, when they see that Jesus is sleeping instead of giving them wisdom about what to do next, when they see that Jesus is sleeping instead of checking in on them to see if they're okay, what? They're very disappointed, right? And in verse 38, scripture says that his disciples say, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Don't you care that we're dying or about to die? Don't you care that our lives are at stake? What matters to them here is Jesus' overly relaxed response, sleeping on a cushion, which seems to them to suggest that he does not care, that he does not care about them. And in voicing their anxieties, don't you care that we're perishing? They are voicing their very real anxieties about not only the weather conditions, but also about who exactly Jesus is. Who are you again? 
You just healed the paralytic man and you declared the power to forgive his sins. You invited us to become fishers of men. We dropped everything and started to follow you. Even unclean spirits are saying that you're the son of God, but why are you asleep and not taking care of us? Our expectation of who you are and what we see of your behavior now does not match up. So they ask, don't you care? And who are you again? And are you really who you say you are? When Jesus replies, why are you afraid? Interesting response. <laughs> Have you still no faith? He sheds further light on what their fears and anxieties may have been. Have you still no faith about the miracles I've shown you? Have you still no faith that I, I am who I say I am? Their trust in Jesus as not only teacher, healer, but also Messiah are still very much in the making for the disciples. Who did we follow into the night? Who did we follow into these torrential waters? Can we trust him? In your own walk with Jesus, I wonder if you have ever had such experiences. Amen, if anybody's have ever had such experience. Am I the only one here who's had this experience? <laughs> I know I'm not the only one. If you have ever encountered the power of Jesus, yet at the same time became filled with fear and anxiety about whether Jesus would actually come through on his promises and whether Jesus really is who Jesus says he is, the Son of God, if you ever wondered that, I think you're not alone. Amen? I think as the body of believers here, we can say some of us have definitely struggled with that very same dilemma the disciples are struggling with. The gospel promise in Mark 4 is that Jesus is with us in the boat. Amen? Amen. The promise is that Jesus is not only with us when he invites us into the boat, calls us to be the fishers of men, we drop everything, follow, right? But also the promise is that Jesus is with us even in the midst of the storms. Amen? The, the promise is that Jesus is with us even when, and this is so hard, even when the invitation to journey with Jesus looks different than what we expected. Amen? The gospel promise is that Jesus with, is with us sometimes even sleeping <laughs> right next to us, even when it's very difficult. When we expected to see Jesus do one thing, but he does another. When we expected Jesus to be heroic and powerful, right, and saving the day, That's the Jesus so many of us want and call upon every day.
But sometimes, instead, we find Jesus asleep. And sometimes, Jesus might even be silent. I find sleeping Jesus one of the most mysterious and challenging aspects of the Christian journey. Amen? Amen. That part of the spiritual journey. When you pray for something, a scripture commands you to pray, right? Scripture is constantly telling us to ask, to seek. But sometimes you don't hear an immediate answer, or you hear something that's different than what you expected. Or it's the response that you did not want. Oh, amen? Has that happened to anybody before? That part of the journey can be difficult. And it has often led me to ask, Jesus, don't you care about us? Don't you care? We are perishing here. Has anybody ever prayed that prayer along with the disciples? Don't you care? Don't you care about us? Don't you care? We are perishing. This has often led me to think about the silence of God, and that's actually in some ways a sermon, yet another sermon, okay? So probably we don't have time to get into all of that. But I do think the emphasis in the parable in Mark 4 is in a slightly different place. And here's what I mean. The fact that Jesus was asleep on the cushion suggests to me something that the disciples may not have known. It suggests that they were going to be okay. Jesus is sleeping on a boat because he's very tired. He's been teaching large crowds. But he's probably also sleeping because he knew that they would make it to the other side of the sea. Who sleeps on a, in, in a boat while winds and waves and windstorms are coming through with such peace if you don't have the assumption you're going to be okay? Right? And Jesus says the Son of God's likely to know. So why is he sleeping on a boat? Most likely because he knows they're going to be okay. Amen? Most likely he knows they are going to make it to the other side. Most likely he knows they're going to make it to the other side of the sea in spite of it all. In this case, Jesus wakes up. And he rebukes the winds and the seas. He says, peace, be still. And shows yet again to the disciples, I have power over even the winds and the seas. 
I have power over evil. He's showing them that. He's going to show them I even have power over death. And he calms the winds. He causes the seas to be calm. Even scripture says there was a dead calm. And I think that Jesus sleeping on the boat suggests that they were probably going to make it through. So then the greater challenge here in the parable, I think, is the fear. I think the greater challenge here in the parable is the fear. It's greater than the winds and the waves. The fear here is the greatest obstacle, the greatest enemy, if you will, in this parable. The fear for their survival, the fear for their lives, the fear of whether Jesus really is who Jesus says he is. There's that great fear. Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? He asked the disciples. Jesus suggests in this parable that it's not just the winds that need to be tamed, but that it's the fear. It's the fear that needs to be tamed. It's the fear that needs to be addressed. And it seems the parable also suggests a way to address that fear, a way to tame that fear, to get into the practice of knowing that Jesus is in the boat with us. Amen? parable suggests a way to address the fear, a way to tame the fear, and that is to get into the practice of knowing that Jesus is in the boat with us, even in the midst of the storms. Amen? To get into the practice of knowing and trusting that Jesus is who Jesus says he is. Amen? To get into the practice of knowing, as the choir of today sing, you said, I believe. Right? And that can be so hard, amen? That can be so hard when it's not the way that you want or in the timing that you want or the way you expect it. Right? But the parable suggests that the way to address the fear, the way to tame the fear, is to remember that Jesus is in the boat with us. To get connected to that truth. To get connected to the truth that Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. To get connected to the power that Jesus can help us overcome even the winds and the waves in our lives to kind of reconnect with that promise. And to reconnect with the promise that God can even do what? Not only calm the winds and the waves, but also do miracles that surpass even that. 
mere goals that surpass even that. So that no matter what wave, no matter what wind may come our way, we can have a peace that surpasses all understanding. And so that we can just at night go ahead and go to bed and sleep just like sleeping Jesus. Right? What are some of the practices that you engage in to reconnect with Jesus in that way? Those practices that help you stay grounded in the midst of the storms, in the midst of the waves and the winds that blow in your life. What are some of the practices you engage in? I mean, already we can see one maybe coming to service, right? Worshiping on Sundays with this community. Um, Also worshiping online, digitally, right? Connecting to a body of believers to strengthen and encourage each other. Singing in the choir, right? Serving um, the church. Um, Going to Bible study. Lots of these can be practices that ground us. I want to share at least three practices that I myself try to maintain that help me get grounded, help me to connect with Jesus in the midst of the storms. And you might think about all while I'm sharing some of the ones that you like to practice. The first is prayer and all kinds of prayer. I personally like to pray for miracles. (laughs) I like to ask them out loud to Jesus, the kinds that the disciples actually prayed. Don't you care that we are perishing? I actually have prayed that prayer. (laughs) Sometimes I just take the scripture and I pray the prayer that the disciples pray because I can empathize. And then I pray, God, silence the storms. Actually take it away, right? Silence the seas, silence the storms. I pray that God would clear up the situation miraculously. Right, like, God, when I go to work on Monday, let it be gone. <laughs> Amen? When I you know, show up to this meeting on Friday, God, just clear it up. Right? Make it better. Um, these are the resources that we need. Just provide us with the resources. And I just straight up pray for that miracle. <laughs> Anybody else pray like that? Right? Just straight up pray for the miracle. And sometimes God does provide in exactly that way. Amen? It's true. I don't have time to get into my own personal testimonies of how God has shown up miraculously, but I know you all know in your own lives of those miraculous ways that God has shown up. Right? I also like to practice a form of prayer called centering prayer. And in centering prayer, we practice just merely being in the presence of God. Knowing that God is even beyond words and feelings, even feelings like fear. So it's like practicing being in the presence of God in that boat as the winds and the the storms come, but you still sit in the presence of God knowing that sleeping Jesus is right there with you. So practicing centering prayer has helped me a lot just to kind of stay grounded even when I feel this way, I have these thoughts, you know, I don't trust you, you know, all these things just to stay grounded. Jesus is still here with us even if I don't think it or even if I don't feel it, right? There's a dimension where just God is and God is I am and that's enough. And suddenly, even when the situation doesn't change exactly the way I want, 
somehow knowing that Jesus is with me, I can walk through it, which is, which is, which is a miracle in and of itself. Right? Okay, suddenly I'm able to walk through this, this very difficult situation that I did not think I could walk through on my own, suddenly because the experience of God's presence with me helps you to get through. And this practice of centering prayer is akin to, I think, like mindfulness practices that I think are really popular these days. It's kind of like a similar practice in the Christian tradition. Another practice is that I like to take walks. I don't know if anybody here is a walker, but I like to walk, I like, amen, yeah, I like to take walks. And there's something about taking a walk that always gets me back to somehow where I need to be. Right, and the Danish uh, philosopher Soren Kierkegaard writes, above all, do not lose your desire to walk. Every day I walk myself into a state of well-being and walk away from every illness. I have walked myself into my best thoughts, and I know of no thought so burdensome that one cannot walk away from it. There's something very mysterious about walking. <laughs> right? I think it's almost like it can be a form of embodied prayer almost. And when you start the walking journey, you're like, this is an impossible situation. And then when you make your way around, it's like the choir, pray, choir um, saying, it's suddenly possible. What, how did that happen? I think that walking in some ways is like a form of embodied prayer. And apparently it's also scientifically proven that walking helps you to think creatively. And maybe Jesus needed the disciples to get into the practice of exercising such faith on the boat. And is also inviting us to remember to get in the practice of exercising these practices. Because he's about to expose them to even bigger miracles. Even bigger needs on the other side of the boat. He's about to show them so many more people on the other side of the sea when they cross who need that kind of big faith for God to do the impossible, literally the impossible in their lives. When they cross the sea, they enter Gentile territory. And Jesus begins to show the disciples something that is crucial for his ministry, which is to show them the expansion of the family of Yahweh among the Gentiles. And the needs here among the Gentiles are also immense. There's a man that they encounter as soon as they cross the sea who is suffering all by himself. Ostracized by his neighbors. And who is plagued, the scripture says, by a legion of demons. There's a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. No matter what she does, it only gets worse. And she's also ostracized because of her condition. And there's a little girl whose life has been cut short at 12 years old, whose father desperately asks Jesus to save 
his daughter. These are desperate situations, impossible situations, where somebody has died, someone is plagued by a legion of demons, somebody cannot get well no matter how hard they try. And Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah, and I can deliver in every single situation. Amen? That's the promise Jesus is about to reveal to the disciples as soon as they cross the sea. It's amazing. It's an amazing show of Jesus' power. Not only to have power over evil, not only to have power over sickness, but to also have power over death. And as disciples of Jesus, we also then get to, what, inherit that power and pray to the God who delivers in that way. What a miracle. And in fact, when they cross the sea, he overturns sickness. He exercises power over evil. And he even overturns death. He raises the 12-year-old girl from the dead. The father says, can you please save her? Everybody laughs. She's already dead. Why, why are you bothering the teacher for this? And he said, actually, she's only, what, asleep. So don't be afraid. She's actually only asleep. There's interesting resonances even with him sleeping on the cushion. Right? Do not be afraid. So here, in some ways, perhaps Jesus is preparing the disciples in the boat to exercise a faith that he knows he's going to invite them to exercise in even bigger ways. The kind of faith that trusts Jesus to do the impossible. To be the one whose power reigns over not only our personal fears, but also a legion of demons. Legions of demons, like systematic evils. You might even think in our contemporary moment, even over power over systematic evils like racism, like sexism, like homophobia, that trickle down into our lives and can be so incredibly toxic. Toxic to the point that it is killing us. Jesus is saying that Jesus has power over even those evils. Amen? Amen. Over sickness, over death, over racism, over sexism, over homophobia. Every evil imaginable that you have also experienced as those systemic evils trickle down in toxic ways into your own life, Jesus is saying, He has power over even those. Amen? Amen? Amen. But do we believe that Jesus is, in fact, even bigger than them? And do we believe that Jesus can dismantle them, can give us the power and the wisdom, the creativity, the genius to dismantle them? Jesus is preparing us in small to little and even big 
ways to do the impossible, to partner with Him, to pray to Him for miracles, but to also shape our lives to partner with Him to do the impossible. Jesus invites us to participate in doing the impossible with Him. And perhaps Jesus is training the disciples on the boat, helping them to practice what it means to have just a mustard seed size of faith so that they can eventually move mountains. Move mountains. What seems massively immovable, unbreakable, unchangeable, or even evil in your life? Is there something like that? Is there something like that in your life that seems massively immovable, massively unbreakable, unchangeable, even evil in your life? Can you trust Jesus with just a mustard seed size of faith that God can move even these mountains? The gospel gospel promise is that God can and that God will. That's the promise. Can you believe that? That's what this is. This is the promise. So in the midst of the storms, the winds, and the waves, let us journey with Jesus. Continue to engage in those practices that help us stay connected to the power of Jesus who can indeed quell the storms, quell the waves, quell the winds in our lives and even help us to move mountains. Amen? Amen. And as I close, I want to encourage us to, in the midst of it all, stay connected to the power of even sleeping Jesus. The Jesus who reminds us that all shall be well. And all shall be well. And all the manner of things shall be well. Amen.